0: Welcome to the new Health Club podcast. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders, and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous, and you should not do drugs. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs may be punishable by law. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. This episode of the new Health Club podcast is part of our special Heal Soul series, which is sponsored by Dr. Bronner's, the activist soap company from California. Dr. Bronner's is a family-owned company founded in 1948 that's dedicated to honoring the vision of its founder, Emanuel Bronner, by making personal care products of the highest quality, and by dedicating profits to promote a better world for all. The Bronner family started making soap in 1858 here in Germany and carries on the family soap-making tradition today by using the company as an engine for progressive social change. Dr. Bronner's dedicates profits to organizations working in support of regenerative organic agriculture, animal rights, community betterment, criminal justice reform, fair pay and fair trade and drug policy reform, which includes the responsible and equitable integration of psychedelic medicine into American and global culture. For more information on Dr. Bronner's in Germany, please visit drbronners.de. For more information on Dr. Bronner's globally and in the United States, please visit drbronner.com. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Bia Labate. She's a queer Brazilian anthropologist who immigrated to the US in 2017. She has a PhD in social anthropology from the State University of Campinas in Brazil. And her main areas of interest are the study of plant medicine, drug policy, shamanism, ritual, and religion. She's the executive director of the Chacruna Institute for Psychedelic Plant Medicine, in San Francisco, the Chacruna Institute is an organization that provides public education about psychedelic plant medicines and promotes a bridge between the ceremonial use of sacred plants and psychedelic science. Bia wrote over 20 books, and you can say she's your Brazilian to talk to if it comes to ayahuasca. With the Chacruna Institute, Bia's plan is, as she says, bringing Latin love to the U.S. Bia and I talk about ayahuasca as a spirit, a teacher, a friend, as something that gives you homework to do with yourself. Bia has a 20-year-old experience with ayahuasca, and it gave her the feeling of being at home, as she says, when she did it the first time. Personally, I love the idea how Bia looks at ayahuasca like a tool when she says using ayahuasca for human beings is the same as if a car needs an oil change once in a while. We talk about mindfulness towards the indigenous people who are the ones providing the knowledge and the substances. We talk diversity, ayahuasca, and the cultural appropriation, and we talk about ayahuasca as the last straw for bored westerners and as the tool for the new mental wellness customer. Please enjoy beer and our conversation. We are here with Bia Labate from the Chakruna Foundation, right? Yes. Happy to have you on the podcast on this nice San Francisco afternoon. Tell us a little bit about Chakruna Foundation.
1: First, I just wanted to thank you for having me in, in your podcast and express that I'm happy. To see this field of psychedelic science and culture and community developing more in Germany. I have lived in Germany two and a half years and I've worked in the Heidelberg University. I'm trying to learn German. I studied German three years. I could Mm. understand everything and speak, uh, but, you know, not academic level. But after all, I concluded like people attribute this quote to Mark Twain. uh, Life is too short to learn German.
0: (laughs) 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 Then that's all right.
1: To answer your question about our institute, so it's called the Chikruna Institute for Psychedelic Plant Medicines. Our main mission is to promote public education about psychedelic plant medicines. And then we have related missions of trying to create a bridge between the universe of shamanism, ritual, religion, tradition, ceremony, and the emergent field of psychedelic science. So a kind of bridge between also North and South, uh, between English-speaking world and non-English-speaking world, between the universe of anthropology, social sciences, and the health biomedical approaches. And another big strength and focus of us is to try to promote equity, inclusion, and diversity uh, in the field of psychedelic science. And so we have been... Uh, trying to give voices to all populations that are marginalized and that have often been excluded from the main narratives and conferences and publications of psychedelic science, such as black people, indigenous people, people of color, queer people, women, people from the global south. Normally we say those are our stars. They are people that we feature in our conferences and also that we invite to write articles and try to promote and give visibility to these uh, minorities and voices.
0: So I mean before we come to this increasingly um, important topic and you can also see on, on your LinkedIn feed I see every day how you kind of include people from South America who are actually experts on these plants on on your in your feed but when you say, a public institute, because of what I, obviously what I find interesting is that how to make this information public in a way that is considering all kinds of legal question. And um, I mean, of course, if you move in a very scientific surrounding or in the tech surrounding, then the psychedelic tech world, then of course, this is a whole different conversation. But so does that mean people, let's say, just read something about it that Ayahuasca helped somebody, or psychedelics in general, to cure their um, mental health issues. So do they call you and kind of try to get information what this is, where they can do it? Is this the kind of work also that includes that?
1: Well, when we talk about public education around psychedelic plant medicines, we're referring mainly to our, you know, influence in our publications. So we have published a lot of books and uh, we are a team of PhDs and authors and speakers and writers. Our network uh, is mainly volunteers. We have not a lot of contracted paid people. We are very small and modest, Uh, but our team is comprised of this large network of volunteers. And uh, a lot of us are academics and published books and papers, peer-reviewed articles. So that's one of the dimension of the work. Uh, We are all researchers and we come from the academia, but we're trying to talk beyond academia we're trying to leave the ivory tower and to reach more the lay person out there and make uh, knowledge more accessible and i I also like to make this joke that you know in in 23 years i published 21 books and i came to the conclusion that nobody (laughs) reads (laughs) it's just challenging you know academic knowledge it can be quite hermetic expensive hard to understand or even just hard to reach So we have in Chacruna, uh, one of the lines of our work, one of the main branches of our institute is the publication of the Chakruna Chronicles. Those are short. uh, They are written by academic experts and um, people that are also clinicians, therapists, but sometimes community leaders or practitioners, but always people that have a specific expertise in what they are writing about. And so we invite them to to publish short articles. Word limit is about 1,800 words. And uh, these articles, we're trying to make a little bit more catchy, sexy title and a little bit more personal and have a first-person voice and a little bit of storytelling. But just trying to break down academic knowledge into more accessible
0: format. The topic that seems to come forward a little more now, and I mean, I just watched this um, new Netflix show called Unwell. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's one episode about, again about ayahuasca. It's actually kind of interesting because it's the first show. I mean, there are a couple of shows now, you could say, around the emerging meaning of, of mental health crisis or or issues, but I mean, it's the first episode where there's actually the topic is addressed that the indigenous population who has this 5,000 year old background to do this is actually treated in the times of um, imperialism and that they actually eventually are exploited and actually don't earn anything or just very little, whereas people organizing all these amazing retreats in very expensive places would actually make the biggest cut. And on top of things, it's also the first time that a documentarist, I mean, I don't, there were several people involved in this whole show, but where they really address, there's also something like, maybe like a spiritual exploitation because the whole Western world is fed up with themselves and now even more (laughs) doesn't know what to do. And so they just, tons of people go to South America and just try to get rid of their I don't know. Yeah, their, their bad feelings or their mental health challenges. How do you think one should address this topic to, first of all, support the indigenous people without just belittling them in a way where, oh, we need to save all these nice little people from Peru because they can't help themselves. So I find it similar to a certain time in the 70s when, especially in Germany, there were so many organizations going to Africa and just helping the little children didn't have anything to eat. You know what I mean? So it's, I find it a very interesting cultural moment. So, what is what is your take on how to support the whole indigenous culture in terms of their psychedelic knowledge and importance? Also,
1: yeah, well, you 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 went on and you sounded a bit like an anthropologist. The questions we are asking as well. I have made my PhD was about the internationalization of ayahuasca it's called ayahuasca mamancuna merci beaucoup about the internationalization and diversification of peruvian ayahuasca vegetalismo and we also Mm -hmm. published a few books about this topic uh, two books called the world ayahuasca uh, diaspora and also another one called The Internationalization of Ayahuasca. This was by Lit It was my times in Germany. We also have this other book, which I am really, maybe perhaps it's one of my favorite ever, that is called Ayahuasca Shamanism in the Amazon and Beyond. And beyond is a bit of a play of word with beyond the Amazon, but also beyond into the invisible world, into the other worlds. And I think that, you know, you you touched on the million dollar question, which is, you know, what sense to make of this globalization and what can we do about it? It's kind of like the genie is out of the bottle, right? Right. Yeah. It's all over the place. Ayahuasca is being consumed in all continents and by all kinds of people. Uh, And it's really, you know, it's really out there. And so what can we do to promote this globalization in a way that is less harmful possible? I would say there are some more orthodox or extreme colleagues and people that believe altogether that Westerners shouldn't drink ayahuasca at all. Uh, Any kind of ayahuasca drinking would be some sort of cultural appropriation and it's not desired. However, ayahuasca has been used by different populations for centuries. It's not just indigenous, it's also mestizo and it's also urban and it's also Christian and it's also syncretic and it's also by used by new age circles and underground circles and therapy circles and itinerant shamans uh, and all kinds of applications. So from the, the point of view of public health and public policy, Chikrina has an approach of harm reduction towards the the potential harm of the globalization of ayahuasca. So we have been doing different work in this area. For example, in the area of legality, we have promoted knowledge and, and we have a video and publications about legal harm reduction. So how can ayahuasca communities stay out of legal problems and protect themselves the best way they can? And take a series of measures to prevent potential harm in case they, uh, you know, in case they are met with law enforcement. That's one of the areas of work. We have also tried to create the sexual abuse guidelines to raising awareness about sexual abuse in ayahuasca circles. So this is a problem that already exists traditionally in local towns and local villages, but with the globalization has also expanded and become even more complex and involves a lot of cross-cultural dimensions, so we created this resource and we also have some companion legal resources to support victims and survivors and we have been uh, holding circles with women that have experienced this kind of challenge. We have also another line of work talking about the commodification of ayahuasca. And how can we do better? So teaching people to be more mindful about the retreat they choose and, you know, asking critical questions such as where is the ayahuasca source from? Is there any sustainability? Is there any project of planting ayahuasca or are the indigenous people in the retreats recognized? Do they have their names, you know? are their names put on the website or do they just appear as a generic Indian? Is their ethnicity recognized? Is there any information about their culture, their territory? Are they in any positions of power within that institution? Uh, do, do they have you know autonomy over leading their rituals or are the foreigners telling them how to run their rituals and so forth? We have also been publishing a lot of content on the conservation of plant species so we have the the council for the protection of sacred plants and the basic idea is that you you know you have your rights so to speak in about your religious freedom or your cognitive liberty or autonomy privacy rights over the sovereignty of your body but with those rights some obligations come as well and it's you have Rights imply responsibilities as well. So you have responsibilities to protect and to honor these plants and their traditions and their territories. We also have starting to create a program about indigenous reciprocity. So trying to raise uh, issues um, around you know these big words that are trendy like horizontality, mm-hmm. uh, cultural humility. Um, decolonization and those things. So we have, you know, as I said, this idea of reciprocity. We have been trying, as I said, in in Chikruna to give voice to indigenous people and to have to have them participate as actors and, and represent themselves and empower them as speakers and authors and, you know, help these populations that are invisibilized to have a voice. So we have been putting them in our conferences and in our publications, in our community forums. And uh, we have also been talking to business people. Uh, there's a lot of new psychedelic businesses emerging by the minute in the field. And uh, we have been raising the issues of how these this companies need to be uh, reciprocal towards the psychedelic community and towards indigenous people, uh, You know what some people call sacred reciprocity. So stimulating these companies to try to support the roots of the psychedelic movement and just, uh, you know, raise their awareness that they should give back to the community, that they are heirs of traditions that start much before themselves. Uh, and then there's also advice that, that we give people on a one-to-one level. I'm not sure if you want to hear those.
0: What do you mean one-to-one level? Well,
1: I mean, it's like, what can you as a person do if you feel, uh, you know, identified with, with this message and with what I'm saying here? You probably want to know what you as an individual can do, right? Like small practices that would help raise awareness. Well, it's still very hard because it's not very clear if even if you want to be mindful, what can you do? The main exercise, then, it's pretty basic and it's a kind of foundational tool or pillar of anthropology, is try to see the the world with the perspectives of the other one. How does the other one experience that? So the basic question to ask is, for example, you want to to invite indigenous people for a conference or to be a speaker or to be on your advisory board. The question you must ask is, what is there for locals in this initiative? What do they have to win by participating? And then if you are a researcher, it's the same thing as well. So try to create research projects that are community-based, that are relevant to the community and that are collaborative. And of course, one of the things, most important things you can do is support indigenous grassroots organizations, organizations that work not only with plant medicines, but with lands, with land, with environment, with with, uh, health, with, you know, protecting territory. So trying to, to connect directly to indigenous people and to, you know, finding out what are their needs and their perspective on issues. And I think... It's a lot about just really trying to understand their culture. And if you want mm-hmm. to take this seriously, start learning a new language. It's a wonderful path to somebody's heart and friendship. Speak their language. Study their culture. Read anthropology. Read site. Be mindful about which retreat you want to attend. And just start mm-hmm. to think, you know, on more reciprocal terms and not just why... What is there for you in terms of like healing your childish trauma or your complexes or neuroses or your existential issues? But try to to think consciously on this relationship that you're getting involved. If you travel to the Amazon, you can talk to, to your host directly and ask their perspectives and try to engage. It's about establishing friendships, long-term relationships. That's really the base of everything. Trying to establish connections that are based on trust, on friendship on slow down, listen, Mm -hmm. ask questions, things like that.
0: I mean, in in that episode, there's this incredible story. I don't know if you heard about it. You probably did. Around 40 year old. I think he was a Canadian guy and he went to the Amazon and he was on some medication, I think psychotic against him being psychotic, SSRIs. And so he went there to do, to do ayahuasca and he obviously had an experience that made him kill the main healer from, from the village, like a very old, older woman who was around for a long time. And then some people from the village killed him because he killed their most important person in the village. So, and I, and I think that was one story a couple of years ago. And in that episode, it's actually describe it. And I thought, wow, this is like kind of a weird, interesting, almost like meta story, how difficult this can be that you just go somewhere with all your Western ignorance and um, "Ah, I'm just going to get this and then I'm just going to get rid of this and then I just kick them in the face if it doesn't work or something. So if, if we talk about ayahuasca, I mean, it's probably the first psychedelic that was in, let's say, the mean, mainstream media in the last couple of years where like even years ago you could read like already big stories here at least in Germany I'm sure in America too like how people experienced it especially in bigger cities like LA, New York, Berlin where people just always seem to find a new way of just um I don't know, getting rid of their neurosis or their their kind of sometimes even um, boredom that they're experiencing. So why do you think that is so popular in, let's say, an urban, rather millennial world, I feel, that is just kind of digital native, and it's just not really sure where they belong, it seems to me and is this just an impression, or what is your perception on this
1: yeah, interesting i you know i I love how all the questions that you're you're making is just questions that have mobilized us in the years and I'm completely fascinated by drinking ayahuasca, I have been drinking ayahuasca twenty three years and I decided to study this topic because I liked ayahuasca and for me it was quite organic. I drank ayahuasca. I felt completely enchanted and marveled and kind of felt this feeling that I was back home from some lost land somewhere that felt just exactly familiar and good and, you know, truthful and that it spoke really to my heart and my soul. And I decided to go to the Amazon and as I was traveling, I was asking questions, recording things, taking notes and reading books and next thing I was organizing a conference. I think there's many angles. Uh, Why are people so interested in ayahuasca? Why did it become so popular? I think for sure there is a kind of feeling of dismay with medical mainstream Western systems and uh, this belief that uh, medicine can really, you know, be accessible. And heal people, and there's a lot of mistrust, and uh, you know the the fact that it's so expensive and inaccessible uh, for so many people, and so many diseases that don't have real treatments, or the levels of success are quite small, such as addiction or depression. I think that that counts. I think also it's just like this sensibility of this new middle class or this new kind of urban professionals that live in urban big cosmopolitan cities and have this sort of uh, individualized form of religiosity or spirituality that combine things from different sources and different traditions in a kind of do-it-yourself spiritual menu where you combine, let's say, therapies or Eastern religiosity, Amerindian shamanism. Sociologists have studied this phenomenon and there's a lot of literature about this New Age kind of hybrid uh, globalization of these forms of spirituality. It's also not just something exclusive to ayahuasca. A lot of uh, Latin or even Brazilian forms of religiosity. So the old world, and the new world you know the south america was considered this new world and we were colonized by europe and uh, brought christianity brought to the americas and now it's a kind of revenge of uh, the the global south latin countries brazil is exporting back uh, forms of cultural musical and religious tradition so it also you can see an increase uh, in the adoption of other forms of religiosity from South America. You know, I have a colleague that studies Umbanda and Candoble in, in Germany. That's a real thing. There's evangelical movements that we have exported. We can go on. I just want to men- mention one last point that also a lot of us social scientists have written and reflected about is how ayahuasca has somehow encapsulated, like, you know, the power of indigenous people and the power of the Amazon and the power of the exotic. And the power of like this magical. There has always been an ambiguous relationship between the new world and the old world, where this primitive is also considered dangerous and and uh, primitive or irrational or maybe diabolical. But at the same time, is considered a source of knowledge and healing and maybe a source of redemption. And ayahuasca seemed to have encapsulated, you know, as this pill that you, by drinking it, you kind of inherit this force of Amazon and of indigenous people. And that has been related by authors to, uh, you know, indigenous people being reinvented and captured and seen and portrayed, represented as the holders of this, deep ecological wisdom that is missing on the West. And if we could only be like them, and uh, there's a lot of projections, there's a lot of things, but that's a lot of anthropological blah,
0: blah, blah. But how was your first uh, Ayahuasca trip that you did? How old were you and where was it? Was it in Brazil?
1: Yes, it was in Brazil. It was uh, in a little town called Pocinhos do Rio Verde, where I happened to have until the day of today, Uh, a a mountain house and I had all my phase afterwards where I I thought I was, you know, I wanted to learn how to heal and to sing. And a lot of us have that shaman wannabe phase. I passed through that as well. And I planted a few ayahuasca in there and we have I have a a space where we held ceremonies. Uh, It's called Mm -hmm. Alto das Estrelas, the height of the stars is a volcanic area a volcanic place full of really mystical and powerful rocks. And I was 26 and quite pure in my heart, and I drank ayahuasca in a little UDV church in town. So the UDV is one of the Brazilian ayahuasca religions that combines syncretic elements of uh, like Christianity and Afro-Brazilian influences, European esotericism, uh, a very cool Brazilian mix except some aspects of this religion that I consider quite conservative and not appealing, a bit authoritarian and homophobic and stuff. But, you know, there's a part of it that I really enjoyed. The music is wonderful. The people were very nice. And I had a very, very beautiful experience and just felt this this magic. And like one month later, I went to the Amazon and I was trying to drink ayahuasca the most I could. And I, I lived, I'd say, the first 10 years, I was quite enthusiastic and quite obsessed with ayahuasca. I went through different phases, as you can imagine.
0: But I mean, what do you think it has changed in your in your whole persona? Because, I mean, some people have, like um, Americans like to say, a hero dose of psilocybin. After this, they, their whole path is kind of a Very different one than they thought it would be, so I mean, if you really engaged in ayahuasca, so you must have had some experiences that really brought you to a different pathway in life, also,
1: yes, totally, you know, I'm considering myself a student of ayahuasca. ayahuasca is a is a teacher, is a friend, is a a plant spirit, Named the title of our non nonprofit Chacruna Sicotra viridis or the leaf that comes from this bush that makes ayahuasca. So, you know, the very title of of our nonprofit is a tribute to our plants, our plants that, that make us see, makes us dream, make, make us have, you know, hope for a new humanity and other paradigms and other just ways of understanding reality. It has been deeply influential in me. I dedicated... Mm-hmm. I have been doing this work around psychedelics 24-7 uh, since... 23 years, 24, since I I started this. You know, it's an endless path of knowledge, of growing and of humbleness and understanding. And it's like any kind of art. You know, you can say, oh, you play too much piano. You got it. No, it's always unfolding. There's more to learn. And, you know, it's about putting this in in perspective with one's own life. As I said, I was in the beginning quite enchanted and obsessed with ayahuasca. And then with time also learned the importance of developing all the other areas of your life as well so the true work is not really mastering ayahuasca or uh, it's about how to to put those that homework people like this fancy word of integration i i kind of prefer to to put it like the homework you know did you do your homework today did you because we kind of know inside our hearts what we have to do you know the shit you gotta do Or sometimes you don't know and you have the insight, but then, you know, the lapse between you knowing and you doing can be quite big. And so it's about that process of implementing those teachings into your life and going back to your ceremonies and keeping yourself, you know, strict. And I also just think that ayahuasca is very good for your body. And it's it's like, you know, if you're like a car and you need to change oil once in a while... I believe in ayahuasca purging you have to go I have been missing a lot uh, you know with this pandemic I, I miss my purge because I I carry a lot and uh, doing this work involves a lot of sometimes challenges and also the all the financial burdens and the challenges to run a nonprofit in this highly bureaucratic expensive world of Bay Area and United States and all that and ayahuasca helps keep the faith, keep the spirit alive, keep the connection in the heart. I don't like to be like a preacher of ayahuasca because it's also very personal and some people don't identify with it and that's
0: okay. I feel that some people are just attracted or called if you want to other psychedelics like I feel like for example my thing is really psilocybin and so far I was not really brave enough to do ayahuasca and then I'm sometimes wondering maybe this is also not something that is for me and I should stay with the psilocybin. (laughs) people. I find it fascinating too, because it's like two or three years ago, I I felt that every second article or every second person I met told me about having done an ayahuasca thing. So, And that's why I find it fascinating that it seems to be the most (laughs) people-driven psychedelic in a weird way to me. It wasn't so exclusive. So what do you think about that?
1: People confuse a lot of things. People confuse the right to do psychedelics and the right to not be criminalized, if you're interested in psychedelics, with the obligation to do psychedelics. Those are two entirely different things. So we're not advocating, you know, I'm not a kind of Timothy Leary advocating for the good that everybody should... Uh, take the substances and only if everybody took it, the world would be better. And that, you know, it's my job to expand this to everybody. I am stating that if people want to do these things, they shouldn't be put in jail, they shouldn't be criminalized. And I'm also stating that traditional populations that have brought this knowledge and used this uh, for millennia should be respected, acknowledged, and and we should reciprocate to them. And I'm also saying that we should combat ignorance and stupidity and prejudice and stigma around this. And we're trying to show society at large, make this explanations and put into context and uh, point to the cultural roots, the traditions, the ties to, to the land, to ethnicity, to identity, to the origin of being human and all these things that re- ayahuasca is related to traditionally. That doesn't mean that everybody has to drink it. That doesn't mean that ayahuasca is for everybody. That doesn't mean that you're wrong if you're drink- not drinking ayahuasca or that if you drank it, you should start to force your neighbor and your parents and everybody that you know. You know, There's a, a kind of etiquette in the world of ayahuasca that I come from that is it's not up to you to do proselytism. It's not... It's not really, people shouldn't be doing marketing of this. People shouldn't be trying to force it onto others. And others have to have their own callings and their own timing. And sometimes, you know, people will drink ayahuasca two or three times and that will be highly influential for them. Uh, Uh There are people that just drank once and said that it changed their life. And there are people that need to drink it, uh, you know, on a regular basis for a lifetime. And there's people that are never going to drink it. Uh, So people say, oh, why do you need drugs? You can do meditation. And that's kind of a really stupid question as well, in my opinion, because it's like going to somebody that is doing meditation and saying, you need to take ayahuasca and like that, you're going to have a better experience. So don't, you know, or somebody that is into Brazilian African Afro-religions like Kandobla and Umbanda, they do spirit possession. So you don't go there and say, why are you doing spirit possession? You can achieve this through meditation. Or why are you doing spirit possession? You should use you know, plant medicines and you can enlighten yourself. Like There's many paths and many possibilities for people. So it's not about trying to tell everybody they have to do it. It's not mm-hmm. about saying that this is superior to other things. And it's not about trying to say... Uh, that you're best because you do this it's it's just really about defending the rights and creating some kind of cultural container and cultural legitimacy for these practices to be respected honored appreciated and integrated into our legal systems into our health systems and and just into our communities and into our you know relationships
0: Some people say that at one point, like how you use psychedelics could also be at one point part of a very regular, um, almost like self-care program without, you know, kind of being crazy about it. But what you described earlier seems to me that way, that you say, okay, you do it, for example, on a regular basis to purge certain things that you don't want to carry around. So um, do you think that at one point there could be something like an ayahuasca coach for people who would like to engage with it but just need somebody on their side who will actually um, communicate with them and just maybe prevent them from overdoing it but maybe also from underdoing it
1: there certainly could be and i think there are already I wouldn't find this particularly, except, you know, the most exciting thing. I'm mm-hmm. really a fan of ceremony, of ritual, of religion, of tradition, of shamanism. And to yeah. me, a lot of the beauty of ayahuasca is related to this cultural container. And I'm completely fascinated by by rituals and by learning on them. And we also create a lot of conversations around that, one, one of their next community forums that we're going to ho- hold in Chakruna is with an Austrian speaker. He's also German speaker. You know, you got me all nostalgic about Germany. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on, <laughs> and he's talking about singing in ayahuasca ceremonies. Oh. So you can have a medical model with ayahuasca, or you can have maybe a more do-it-yourself model. I am more interested in the ceremony and, you know, the religious aspect and the spiritual practices. I don't think these other practices should be criminalized, as I don't think any psychedelic should be criminalized ever. Uh, however, you know, I think it's it's losing a lot. I am a little bit nervous with this reductionism that exists, especially in this more techie and Silicon Valley and, you know... Money making venture capitalist kind of approach to things. So, oh, microdosing to enhance your cognition and improve your performance at work. Take a quick break and do your DMT or your Bufo in 10 minutes and, you know, short fix for all your problems and 10 years of therapy. And there's this kind of seduction of the fast fix and the quick instrumental approach. And to me, it's really about how these plants and this path, these traditions teach us how to rethink all categories, all paradigms, the way by which we classify things, the way by which we understand ourselves, we understand the concept of body, of soul, of the invisible world, of the ancestral world, of the spiritual world, of other realities and other meanings and belongings and other cultures and other traditions. And I think we have a huge beautiful universe of traditions and ceremonies and that's in Chakruna. we are about honoring and protecting sacred plants and these traditions and these roots i'm not saying that all the other modalities are you know horrible or despisable it's not my thing and it's not also
0: where we put our the main energy of our institute i think it's interesting because i feel in the end it's always so much about the ceremony of a thing even in 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 the psilocybin ceremony let's call it the ceremony of preparing the tea drinking the tea lying down and everything and, and i feel without that it would just not be the same thing because I find it a very, very important part of the for the preparation that you move towards your own experience. My feeling is always that a lot of people are missing ceremonies and they're missing things that are kind of coming back. Like every Sunday you go to Mass... Every Friday you don't eat meat. So, and I feel that psychedelics, in a weird way, they kind of bring them back because mostly they're taken with some ritual. What is your your vision for Takuna in the next five years? Where, where do you want the foundation to be?
1: There are people that are kind of allergic to the whole ceremonial thing. I also have a part time job at Maps where I'm public education and cultural specialist. And MAPS is uh, promoting development of MDMA for treatment of PTSD and clinical trials. So I think there is space for different modalities of healing and different uh, substances. And I don't think that the medical model is entirely problematic and we should discard all of that. It's just I wanted to make the point that when it comes to ayahuasca, if you, if you say, you know, have two two ways of regulating maybe a ceremonial religious path and a medical one. I would try to bet more on the spiritual religious path than the yeah. medical one. I don't see a lot of meaning in creating a, a huge clinical trial that will spend thousands of dollars during years and years and years to have ayahuasca in a laboratory. That's the kind of thing that we want to see happening. In, you know, in the United States, there has been a lot of conversation about clinical tri- a clinical trial with ayahuasca. I'm curious to see how that will play out. I also think that there might be some promising developments, maybe treating PTSD of veterans or other addiction, depression. And in terms of chacruna, we are growing a lot and we had a lot of momentum with Psychedelic Liberty Summit, which was a great conference that we held. And it was a bit ironic because it was right in the beginning of pandemic and there hasn't been this phenomenon of a million conferences and events online. And so everybody, I think, was more fresh and open and just this, like, shared vulnerability and uh, the feeling that everybody is, is there together on the same boat and tragedy and this unexpected thing that, you know, lay on top of us that our anthropologists explain this as a revenge from the animal kingdom and nature into human beings, you know, from a, a more Indian shamanistic perspective. And I am betting and dreaming that the membership program will be a way to move this sustainably because we offer a lot of free content. We don't have advertisements in the site and we don't sell anything. And our, our webinars, they're very, uh, they just cost $10 and we get a, a lot of scholarships and courtesies anyway, so they hardly pay anything. And so... That's for me it's the big challenge I make also this joke I took a lot of psychedelics but that didn't really give me much insight on how to make money with psychedelics and with public education around psychedelics at least for me it's it's about the sustainability but it's also about this community because we're holding private webinars with our members and we want to create this synergy you know to be in touch with the community and hear the communities Uh, Feelings and what people would like to see discussed and um, just give back to the researchers, help them do more informed consciousness research and help us build the future of this movement. We very much cherish uh, community partnerships and we have over 50 community partners and we give them always uh, notice on our events and publications and offer them courtesy tickets we we like like this big you know boy scout kind of thing we like big big teams a lot of people everybody together and you know the motto is to learn to have deep quality but also to have fun we want to bring this latin uh, vibe and you know this this sense of humor this ability to laugh at ourselves and so one one wonderful thing about brazil and i also lived 5 years in mexico worked 8 years in mexico I didn't. I spoke about Germany, but I actually have much more connections to to Mexico, other than Brazil and the U. S. We just make a lot of jokes all the time, like the corrupt politicians that we have and all the scandals that we do, endless memes that appear the next day, and people's abilities to make fun uh, of, you know, what goes on, and just this feeling of being less important. It's also very, Amerindian, indigenous in this in this sense, you know, to, to not make yourself, yourself feel so important, to make fun of things, to laugh, and yeah. so to learn and to laugh and to create community and to create critical thinking. And we also have this kind of, you know, the brand of, yeah, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm queer, I'm Latin, I'm an anthropologist, you know, I value critical thinking, reflection, and have a big mouth and plan to continue to have one. Uh, you know, but also develop my <laughs> diplomatic strategies. And I think you've been, you know, bit by the same bug that I have been bit, that we are all facing in the psychedelic community, that is kind Great. of crazy with a million people and a million things happening and so much money, so much momentum, so much buzzwords. and But and also, so much- uh, you know, fertile land for us to... Uh, Build and grow and shape this movement in ways that we believe, and we have to have that hope, because that's hope's what keeps us together. You know, there's a little bit of cynicism is good and being skeptical, but also just being very proactive. I think, yeah, I would conclude with that. In Chacruna, we're really about taking concrete actions, you know, actions matter more than statements. So a lot of people have been putting a lot of statements, but you really guide by example with your actions. And it's also just very easy to criticize and to sit on your Facebook and trash people and criticize yeah. others or call out or deplatform platform or whatever. But when it comes to concrete actions, and also when it comes to inclusion and diversity, actions speak the most. So that's about us proposing concrete actions that will help change reality, and if we can't change everything, we change little parts, and we do our part. And you know that that's 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 something. And I want to thank you again for for having me here. And uh, I hope you continue with this uh, curiosity that is inspiring you in your pursuit and your podcast and in your new path uh, that you shared. It's also new and that you're trying to find meaning and and keep it. You know, give the best of your intellect and your and your heart into building this uh, space. And yeah, count on us with Chikruna and thank you for
0: having me. Yes. So, bottom line is, we need more Brazilians like you, like your type of Brazilian. Thank you again. It was such a pleasure. And um, have a good day in San Francisco. Good luck with everything. And of course, we keep in touch.
1: Thank you.